The following is a fourth-hand production. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Not crazy. hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in Hysteria Nation to the podcast that still believes every day should be International Pancake Day. Hysteria 51. No. Broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago. I'm your guide on this magical mystery tour, and my name is John Goforth. Alongside is my co-captain, the abbot to my Costello, if you will, Mr. Brent Hand. Who's on first, Gofo? Who's on first? And <laughs> finally, the third member of our crew, the robot that Brent built to help with research and topic picking, but pretty much does everything but conspiracy bot. I'm not your slave. No, but you are our robot, and you do well to remember that, Seabot. How's the gallbladder doing, you prick? (laughs) Speaking of gallbladders, Brent, that actually ties nicely into tonight's topic. Seabot, tell us about it. Tonight we're diving back into the Flat Earth Conspiracy. You meet sacks just can't quit talking about the paradigms of a reality that doesn't really exist. I find it amusing... Ha 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 ha. Oh man, and is it gonna be good? The topic's so nice we had to do it twice. You see what I did there? Yeah, I see. Yeah. Uh, for those of you new to the show, we originally covered the flat earth on an earlier episode that Brent was conspicuously absent from. He had a gallbladder issue, as in it went bad. It died. Like gangrenous bad. <laughs> it's been inferred on this very show that Seabot might have had something to do with said gallbladder. No idea what you're talking about. You know, I can't prove the little guy has something to do with it, John, but let's just say I don't eat his cooking anymore or drink anything he hands me for that, <laughs> for that matter. Like poison can only come through food and drink. <laughs> that sounds, um, what, what's the word, ominous? Yeah. Uh, you, sounds you know, like a fucking threat. <laughs> you know what else is ominous, Brent? Listening to Hysteria 51 on a bad podcast app. But. It's a good thing there's CastBox. That's right, CastBox. Over 5 million downloads on the new Orange app. If you got the purple one, you're living in the past. That is right. On CastBox, you can go to individual episodes and leave comments, just like you're going to go this episode of the Flat Earth Roundtable and leave comments about how intelligent and insightful everything we said was. Every episode allows you to leave comments, not just on the whole show, as You're one to do anyway. Five stars, of course. As Brent said, it is the orange app, not the purple. And if you don't have a smartphone or just don't choose to download it, you can also do it uh, on your browser. Just go to castbox.fm. That's right. Desktop app right there. No app. Just their website. It's awesome. Just their website. Yep. So back on tonight's topic, each week we do a segment of some sort. And this week, I think we should use the time to get to the kids at home a little taste of the episode I missed, John. I why I was laid out. Dying in the hospital. When Joe Peck Pinch hit for you. Yeah, that's right. Wow! Here we go, ready or not. The following content is sure to be hot. The information we'd like to present. Now it's time for another segment. Great idea, Brent. Seabot, can you play some highlights from our first sojourn into the flat earth? At least they can say, haven't you ever gone and walked? Like, it's flat. The ground was flat (laughs) underneath your feet. I mean... Guys, I really want to have everybody believe I have red hair. I am the devil's advocate. 
That movie was about me. That movie. <laughs> no, you you all need to call me Parallax. Yes. You will call me Parallax. Oh, I was confused. I thought you were saying Flat Earther was like a profession. No, no, no. <laughs> That's my, what I majored in. My, I normally get my science from scientists. You should stone your wife if she sleeps with somebody else. I think maybe <laughs> they're just sitting there being like, God. Let's see if we can rile these people up about this. Throw a nuke or two in the middle of it, and we'll be good to go. Copernicus was a Freemason. So the fact that the government has been caught in um, misleading the general public is a direct arrow towards the Earth is flat. That's exactly right. Okay. You may think you've had Tang, but you didn't. Compilation. You mean composite, idiot. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, somebody supposedly orbited the Earth by going 17,500 miles an hour and did a 180? Like, no way. Have you ever tried to do it? I have. I couldn't do it. Little known fact about Conspiracy Bot, you can actually play NBA Jam on him. That's how we met. And, I mean, obviously the reason I know this is because. Hey, quit playing that game over here and come play me. He said, hey, come touch this. All right, turn your head and cough. There is not one peer-reviewed scientific study that proves the Earth is a globe. With insights like that, I'm not even sure why we're bothering with tonight's episode. I mean, that was really, really good stuff. Yeah, we'll go with that. Insights. I'm ignoring him for the rest of the show. No. Brent, I understand <laughs> we're doing it a bit different tonight. Uh, uh, a roundtable of sorts? Yeah, John, so we wanted to do more, give you our opinion on the Flat Earth Conspiracy. So we're bringing the help of some experts Actual experts for one step. Experts? It's like, the section t- it's like the second time in like 40 some episodes. So Wait, know, do, do, we're not do, making a habit out of it. But don't we have to put that question mark on? Experts? experts? Yeah. Tonight we'll be joined by folks from both sides of the argument. And you and I will do our best to m- remain impartial. We're going to be the, the moderators, if you will, and steer the ship so it doesn't dissolve into an astrophysical pissing match as they are one to do on this topic. Astrophysical pissing match. I really like that. <laughs> I think we, uh, I think we have a bumper sticker in the works. <laughs> right next to my honor student goes to you know, <laughs> Flat Earth High. But first, in case there are any newbies out there about what the Flat Earth Conspiracy is, Seabot, why don't you go, we're going to let you do the GoFopedia tonight. Why don't you give them a little taste of what the Flat Earth Conspiracy actually is all about? The Flat Earth Society states the evidence for a flat Earth is derived from many different facets of science and philosophy. The simplest is by relying on one's own senses to discern the true nature of the world around us. The world looks flat, the bottoms of clouds are flat, the movement of the sun, these are all examples of your senses telling you that we do not live on a spherical heliocentric world. This is using what's called an empirical approach, or an approach that relies on information from your senses. Alternatively, When using Descartes' method of Cartesian doubt to skeptically view the world around us, one quickly finds that the notion of a spherical world is the theory which has the burden of proof and not flat Earth theory. Without further ado, let's let's dive in. Welcome our guests. Yeah, let's dive in feet first. All right, here we are with the Flat Earth Roundtable. I want to say thank you for everyone for joining us this evening. And we want to take a time to let everyone kind of... Give us your background, your elevator pitch on on where you fall on this, what your background is. Yeah, who you are and which side of the coin you fall on. So Adam and Jaren, we'll start, or I'm sorry, Adam and Tack, we'll start with you guys because you guys are on the Twisted 10 podcast. Why don't you give us your background? Cool. Hey, first of all, thanks for having us on, guys. It's an honor. We appreciate the invite. It's always an honor when you get to talk to us, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what they're referring to, if you haven't heard, uh, we have a podcast called the Twisted 10. 
and the guys from uh, Hysteria 51 came on and did their own list. So be sure to go check that out. Is that a shameless enough plug so far for us? <laughs> <Ding. laughs> Perfect for us. You, you talked about uh, my, uh, my name is Adam. Uh, I am a podcaster. I like long walks on the beach. Um, now, my background is actually in IT. I've worked uh, DOD uh, for about three years over at CENTCOM. I worked Department of State for 10 years, Iraq, Columbia, several other out-of-country locations. And then now I'm working at NASA. I'm an IT guy out at NASA. So you get you get the, uh, Mike, printer won't print, uh, but at NASA. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's IT, so it's like, my rocket won't boost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that button that you're supposed to push to actually launch the rocket? Yeah, you know, we install that. <laughs> Move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Tack, tell us about yourself. All right. My name is uh, Tack Van Sickle, and uh, I'm also on the Twisted Time with Adam as well. Uh, we also do another podcast together. It's called Living Podcariously, and I uh, should go check that one out. It's similar, but it's a little more graphic. Uh, <laughs> and uh, let's see. I, I'm i sorry? No, uh, go get ahead. the thumbs up from us on yeah. graphic. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, let's see. I was in the United States Navy. I was in submarines uh, for eight years. Um, and um, now we do podcasting, and I'm also a security officer at SpaceX. So you get to see all the failed and successful SpaceX flights. <laughs> Supposedly. Yeah. All right. Uh, next, David Weiss. Um, my name is David Weiss. I am uh, just an independent researcher. Woke up to a lot of uh, lies in the world. And now uh, several years ago, I discovered that uh, the reality of the world that we live on is not uh, what they show us, and um, anyone that takes the time to look can clearly see. Excellent. What about you, Jaron? Yeah, David actually brought us to your attention or you to our attention. What's your background? Well, hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Appreciate uh, it. My name is Jaron. I'm in the Monterey Bay Area in California. I was a store manager for a drugstore for about 14 years, and then um, after I stopped working there and started working from home. I uh, started looking into some things and, you know, starting around November 2014 or so, um, started looking into moon landings and just kept doing research from there and came to the conclusion that uh, the Earth is not the spinning ball I was taught as a child. Excellent. I I'm, I've went down the working at home uh, route myself and I find myself on my free time just falling down rabbit holes like crazy. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And then finally, we got uh, Greg Finn. Greg, you want to give us your background? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> um, I've been a science educator, I guess you can say, uh, for the better part of a decade now. I uh, started off as a TA and, and a tutor in college studying uh, astrophysics. And um, when I graduated, I came home on my way to grad school and some some life events happened and I got kind of stuck here. So I've been taking odd jobs here and there as a uh, tutor, as a instructor for physics labs. Uh, I did science or I did a planetary science and astrophysics at one of our local universities for several uh, semesters. And I currently work as a high school teacher um, here in Jacksonville, Illinois. Um, well, technically it's the summer right now, so not really, but um, we've been uh, just kind of working around central Illinois looking for money as a uh, educator, but yeah, physics and astrophysics, especially in astronomy are kind of my, my high points, I guess you can say. Awesome. So, so uh, if it wasn't clear to the listeners at home, uh, I believe Adam tack and Greg fall on the side of 
of of not being flat earth, uh, flat earth believers, um, and and David and Jaron fall on the side of believing in in, in the flat earth. Um, guys, before we get into individual questions, where we where we look specifically at if this then that, uh, I think it's important to set the table to make sure that we're all speaking the same language. And and I first want to talk about the terms uh, that we're probably going to bandy about tonight, and that's like evidence and proof. We. Uh, I, I've listened to um, videos from from both Jaron and David. I, I've talked to Adam and Tack uh, and, and Greg. I'm, I'm, I haven't talked to you, but I'm, I'm sure I know what side of things you fall on. But we all use similar terminology, and that is like I, I, I have pr- we've seen proof of this. We don't have evidence of that. Um, so I, I think it's important to talk about those terms. I, I know what we would call mainstream science utilizes. It's the scientific method, right? So. Um, the question I, I, I think is for, for more the more our, our flat earth believers, David and Jaron, the scientific method is a process for experimentation. It's used to explore observations and then answer the questions. That's it. I mean, there's no conspiracy there. Like that, that's just, it's just a process. You can use it to test things that you believe in from the flat earth or, or regular science. But I know, I mean, obviously it's not perfect. Scientists studies how stars change or how dinosaurs digested their food. You can't, you know, forward a life, a star's life by a million years or run medical exams on a dinosaur. When, du- when direct experimentation is not possible, generally scientists modify the scientific method. Even when modified, the goal remains the same to discover the cause and effect relationships by asking questions, carefully gathering and examining that evidence, and then seeing if all the inf- information can be combined into a logical answer. My question is, you might have different evidence than non-flat earthers but do you take that same approach i'll go first on that one um absolutely and i think that the scientific method i don't think anybody's going to argue at all with that being the number one way to come to or at least come the closest as possible to the truth um but i think science which taught us all about the scientific method and said that they're not responsible for telling us what the truth is um, that they're not about truth. They can prove things to be false, but not necessarily true. Uh, yet they go around and teach children at a very young age what the truth is about many things. And as a six-year-old, you have no idea. You can't go and actually look into the things that they tell you have been proven. And when you get to a certain age and you go and look into those things, you should be able to find the evidence and the clear proofs of those things that were taught to you at six. And when you can't, that's what creates the problem. Mm-hmm. So you're you're saying that you know the the things that they're teaching children for you know for what's in our textbooks and things like that aren't actually peer reviewed but just propaganda for the most part or do you think it's um do you think it's not propaganda they're just ignorant to the fact that it's that it's untrue I think sometimes there might be more than one explanation and if science chose to go a certain direction um, without employing the scientific method meaning they just uh, chose ideologically or um, philosophically to go in a certain direction that that's not right. You have to explore all options. And uh, there's great scientists who come out and flat out admit, like George Ellis, um, that cosmology has chosen to go a certain direction, that there's many, uh, there's many different possibilities and models that can prove our observations, but they chose philosophically to go in a certain direction. And he doesn't have a problem with that. Because he says, as long as you let people know that, the problem is, he says, that cosmology, a lot of cosmology tries to hide that. 
when I hear that from a scientist, when a scientist tells me that a lot of cosmology tries to hide something, I have a huge problem. That's not science. Science has nothing to do with lying to people to try and prove a point or to try and push their narrative. So you, what you are saying is that you you believe in the process of the scientific method. You don't believe in the way in which it's been um, demonstrated throughout the years. Is that fair? Correct. Okay. Yep. Uh, now, Greg, uh, do mm-hmm. you have any feedback uh, on, uh, on on the thoughts on cosmology? Yeah, that's kind of in your ballpark a little bit. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, boy, do I. Um, so here's here's the thing, right? So I I, I, I started off in college and – when I took my cosmology class, it was what we call the GR class, is general relativity. Um, when I took that class, it was one of those. It was one of those times where, when you you see the math and you see it all just kind of fall into place, it's it's just stunning, right? Um, but the math and the the concepts that are involved with that level there just aren't. They're not. They're not ready. I guess, I, let me rephrase that. The public just is not ready for that level. So from going back on what Jaron was talking about, when, when we're younger, you know, when we're five, six, seven years old, four or five or in that area, you have to start them off easy. You know, you have to say, okay, well, balls will always fall to the ground. Or you have to say, you know, if you spin around, your arms will go up. But you have to start them off easy and then gradually work them into that level. So it's, it's one of those things that you start them off easy, you start them off with a simplistic view, and then as you go as you go on and you get more and more interested, if you get more and more interested, that's when just, you know, like most anybody, you know, you fall down the rabbit hole right. and you just see how deep it really does go. And it's it's it, it and for me, when I when I started off here in Jacksonville, um, you know, I, I went into it expecting my my students to be, you know, A plus level students because they were A plus level students. But then I realized that my background was way too high. I mean, I was, I was going in at like, let's do this and this and this, and they were just having none of it. And so I had to kind of bring it back a little bit, water it down a bit. And then from there, we were able to work on it as we went on throughout the year and seeing how, and seeing how, how, how students and kids in general, you know, react to that kind of like hard hitting thing. It's, it's not that hard to extrapolate it out and say, Hey, you know, maybe the general public, sees it this way and it's easy to to start them off on an on an easy kind of a softball type of mentality than it is to just say this is the way it is and so Greg, and I, you know here's here's all of the math just look at it i got i got to follow up i guess so when you were you've had a little bit longer of a background than the others here all of us included when you were studying in college and things, did flat Earth come up? Was that something that was talked about or bandied about at that time, or is or no. do you feel this is more of a newer concept that's kind of permeated the the uh, social? Right. Spectrum? When I was when I was in school, we had we had a few people that you know said that you know what if what if the Earth was flat? And you know what? Honestly, some of some of the math does work out to say, hey, you know, maybe the Earth is flat, but not everything does. So the so the most logical ex- or conclusion is that the Earth indeed is round, in fact a sphere. But at the time, um, at the time, nobody really kind of questioned that because it was the simplest thing, and so it was just kind of one of those things that you know you grow up with it, and you know when you get to that point, it just makes more sense when you see everything. Kind of when you, when you get, when you dive down into it, it just makes more sense that way because it is simpler than everything that we were talking about with cosmology. So, so um, this is a question for David and Jaron. Um, we we kind of now that we've set the table, why don't you hit us with um, 
the most basic of of your thoughts, and 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 we'll start the conversation from there. Start the roundtable from there, and we can all uh, react and 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 talk to it from there. <clears throat> okay, I guess my my first question would be uh, for people that understand the current model uh, with special relativity and general relativity. Can the reason I'm bringing this up is if I can ever find um, lies being told to me, then I think it's definitely, um, you know, required of me to question other things in that paradigm. So Mm -hmm. if not lied to, then for the most part, I have no reason to question things. Right. So in general relativity and special relativity, does absolute motion exist? What do you mean by absolute motion? Um, absolute motion. It isn't the idea of relativity that all motion is relative. It's the idea that that motion, as well as the experience of space-time, is is relative to different frames of reference. Yeah. Okay. So that being said, when when we're taught relativity is the truth, then how can you also say that the Earth goes around the sun? Because in order to say that, you are putting absolute motion to the Earth. When it if it's all relative, then isn't it true that from the Earth the sun appears to go around the Earth, and from the sun the Earth appears to go around the sun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 literally what relativity is. Is that from the frame of reference from the sun, the Earth moves around it, but from our perspective, the sun seems to move around the Earth. Okay, so if that's the truth, relativity, then why mm-hmm. would we teach children in school that the Earth goes around the sun? You just contradicted one of the main tenets of cosmology, which is relativity, followed by children. You all go around the sun. And if anybody ever says that the sun goes around the earth, they get laughed at. What would be the reason we're basically not telling the truth there? Well, no, it's not so much that we're not telling the truth, because that is that is the physical actual truth, is that this, the earth does move around the sun. But from our reference, it's it's that it's that little modifier, that 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 qualifier that goes right in front of it. It's from our reference point. So what what a lot of what a lot of teachers do um, is they just say, hey, you know, the earth goes around the sun and they don't you know, put that extra qualifier. But from our perspective, the the sun moves around the earth. That's what I always try to do with my astronomy kids. You know, I try to say, you know, it wasn't, it, it's not hard for you to stand out in the middle of the night, look up at the sky and see the stars and the moon and the planets seem to go around us in a giant ball. But when you look at everything else, it makes more sense that we're on a ball that then moves around the sun and then everything moves also around the sun. It's, it's a lot simpler, but from our perspective, from our perspective, everything seems to be moving around us. But from another perspective, let's say the sun or you know another star, it would see that everything else moves around it. So, so Greg, it sounds like what you're saying is um, just because it it appears like that to us doesn't mean that that's the reality. I, I would suppose, like if you're you're on a uh, uh, an L train here in Chicago going right mm-hmm. against the highway and you have a car going the same speed, it appears to be almost sitting still next to you, but that's right. not the reality. We're both moving uh, at 60 miles an hour or whatever it is. Right, right. From an outside, from somebody standing on the side of the highway, they would see the train go by at 50 miles an hour and the car go by at 50 miles an hour. But from you sitting in the train or you sitting in the car, nothing else is moving except the, the surroundings. So, that's the that's 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 relativity. So, Tack and Adam, you guys that you work with uh, NASA and SpaceX, how does this affect you guys? Does flat Earth creep into your conscience? Do you have dealings with it? Do you guys address it at NASA and SpaceX in any way, or or, or what's the deal there? 
Well, we don't we don't necessarily see it uh, in our day to day operations for what we do at, at the two different space areas that we work down here at Kennedy Space Center. Right. But in our personal lives, I've you know read a lot of the research and, and watched a lot of the videos, and I have been. It still left me with questions on how basic physics and you know the, the general understandings that we currently have uh, would be contradicted with the flat Earth theory. It, it's it's not so much in our business professions as it is in my mm-hmm. personal desires. I'm I'm fascinated to meet you guys that believe this, and I'm not saying that in an insulting way. I I really want to understand some of the questions that I've got that, that you guys have the answers and the conclusions to draw the earth is flat. I mean, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating to me. So Jaron, when did the, when do you think the flat earth movement um, picked up steam like it is? Because it is everywhere now. Um, when do you think that, that, you know, permeated into the popular culture like it has? It seemed to start around uh, February of 2015. Uh, at least that's when I made my first video. I would say that I kind of came to that conclusion around November and my wife was telling me to make videos and I told her no, because I couldn't find anybody else that was kind of saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we just kept looking into it, kept doing our own research and kind of had that belief, but we're afraid to, to voice it. And then in February, uh, a Mark Sargent came out with a series of videos called flat earth clues. And in watching those videos, he just, the way that he presented it and the way that he explained his beliefs or his ideas, I said, you know what, that's, I could do that. I could speak, um, while showing pictures on the screen. And, and I kind of even thought that if, if I, if people started making fun of me or whatever, I would just say I was kidding. And that this guy told me to do it or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so then from there is, is I started to, uh, talk about it. Yeah. More people started making their own videos. I started getting emails from people saying we've always felt this way and then started finding you know, research that had been kind of swept under the rug from years ago and books. And, and then just from there, it became a, um, a daily kind of research thing. Mm-hmm. And it just has grown, you know, on its own. I, I think it's a grassroots movement, just people starting on YouTube, making videos, talking about it, shows and little hangouts. And yeah, I'd say since about February. Well, so what's your smoking gun to you? What's the one, I don't know if you even, even pick one, but what would you say is the one thing that you're like, this is what everyone needs to see, and this is going to make you understand that Flat Earth is true and that everyone else has you know, collectively been lying or, or, or misinformed? Yeah. That's a, that's a tough David one. also, either of, either of you two. I'll just answer it real quick. For me, it's a tough one because I would say I believe in the Flat Earth because of all my videos, and I think at this point it's like 270. I would never say that there's any one video that made me a believer. It's a... It's an accumulation of everything because if it's a deception and let's just pretend it is a deception that we live on this ball, that it's going to be covered up quite well to the point where, you know, it's going to be tough to just pull that one thing out of a hat and say, this is the reason why to me, I guess, if you ask me that one thing, maybe I would say that uh, water finds its level in all my experience, um, that I don't think water, uh, bends, uh, with the, you know, force of gravity, uh, those things that were taught to me that we were told could be shown in a lab if they were scientific. I've yet to see any uh, mass of a sphere uh, hold water to its surface in any way. So to me, um, you know, I don't see water of the oceans bending. I don't think that people in Australia are upside down compared to me. That's a, that's a 
a good place to to kick off the, the next part of the conversation. Uh, you you one of the things you just mentioned was you don't you don't see water adhering to a sphere. I, I think that kicks into the gravity conversation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Greg, tell us if you can in 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 I, I suppose for for us at least maybe not our audience but for us in in relatively middle school or high school terms uh, <laughs> uh, how does uh, the water of the oceans stay on the earth and not fly out into space oh that's actually pretty cool it's it's a really cool thing so there's these things called tides right so we already know that tides come in tides go out they happen about twice a day um, or twice every 24 hour period or so and so that's actually caused by the moon pulling on the earth. So we actually know that the that the water on earth doesn't perfectly stay stuck to the surface. It does get pulled everywhere it goes. Um, but it, it had, does have to do with the fact that gravity, um, the gravity of the earth. So the earth is giant, right? I don't think any, I don't think anybody's really kind of not saying that it's, it's the earth is ginormous. Um, but even if because, it's flat, <laughs> <laughs> even, even if it's flat, it's huge. And so um, because of that, you know, the mass of the earth is so freaking large that that the any, pretty much anything itself is that's anything that anything that's sitting on it is actually going to be pulled to the surface. Now, a lot of people would say, well, if the earth is spinning, why don't why don't we fly off? Like, you know, if you spin a spin a wet basketball, things fly off the surface. Well, that has to do with centripetal force. Um, it's that, you know, the centripetal force required to keep an object on the surface of the earth is way 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 less than than the or sorry the, the centripetal force of the uh, they keep an object stuck on the earth is less than the gravity that's pulling you inwards and so because of that the water will stay on the surface of it even if the earth is spinning because the gravity that's holding it to the surface itself is way bigger than the centripetal force that's required to to have it be flung off so it's it's one of the, it's one of those things that 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 you know the 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 earth is massive and anything massive that's next to the earth will just be stuck to its surface so um david we'll, we'll point this at you um you you heard the, the the basic version of of why the the water doesn't leave um what would be your response to that um so gravity is has never been proven you know scientists don't even know what gravity is. I, I, it doesn't make any sense if you really think about it. You know, gravity is able to hold uh, trillions of tons of water uh, to a spinning ball, um, but people can jump in the air. You know, uh, mm-hmm. butterflies can fly away. Um, you know, supposedly, is it gravity that holds the atmosphere to the spinning ball and spins it with it at all different altitudes? Uh, because it has to spin faster as it goes up higher. And what's to stop the vacuum of space from taking that atmosphere off? Wouldn't the, I'm just asking, uh, wouldn't the basic argument there be just the math behind it? You know, a butterfly can fly away because it's so light as compared to the gravitational force as compared to the wind and and all of that. Wouldn't that just be like the the basic argument there? So, so, I mean, there's so many things about gravity. If you really start looking into it, it's never been proven. Um, and, you know, we're, we're told that the sun, this massive, you know, gravi- 
gravitational force has grabbed the Earth and the Earth is flying through space, falling around the sun, never, you know, crashing into it because it just keeps missing it by its huge orbit. And then somehow, magically, this moon is close enough to the Earth where the Earth's gravity has captured the moon and the moon is falling around the, er the curve of the Earth. But the sun never rips the moon away from the Earth or any of the other, uh, you know, uh, hundred gravitational objects in our solar system that are whizzing all around. Their gravity never tugs at the Earth or the moon. Um, if you really look at it, it, it's impossible. And I and I, Jaron is better versed on this, but I don't believe NASA is able to uh, model anything uh, a three body. Um, problem they can only model a two-body problem and the rest is just theory sharon you want to touch on that well yeah it's not so much that they can't model it because there is computer programs that can uh, simulate it you know pretty close but as far as a mathematical equation to figure out any kind of three-body problem it's it's not possible because soon as a one item moves an inch in one direction you've now affected the gravity and the uh, pull and the force of every other item that's involved so um you know, that kind of tells me that it, it is kind of not random. I don't want to say random because, like I said, they can do a simulation. But, yeah, NASA can't do a um, a three-body gravitational problem. Isn't it true to the to the two guys that work for the space agencies that said that they don't really use flat Earth in their work? Uh, isn't it true, though, that you use uh, a geocentric um, frame of reference? You don't use the heliocentric frame of reference when you're figuring out uh, satellites and orbits, things like that. You guys are asking some good questions. <laughs> We're I'm trying to keep us <laughs> muted as much as possible on this side. So forgive, forgive me if I'm going in and out for the microphone. No, but, you're not. You're fine. Um, as, as far as what's used for calculations of satellites, to be honest at this point, cause there's so many that are uh, commercial as well. NASA doesn't run the, uh, the, the specific, I said that right for those individual companies. So it could be any combination of calculations that they're using. Just don't screw up your metrics and your standards. That's the only thing I would say. Yeah. I do have a, a, a back question to ask you guys. Uh, with, with regards to the flat Earth perspective, do you see the rest of the solar system, the rest of the, even the closer objects to us, like inside our own solar system, as spherical objects that are orbiting the moon, uh, orbiting, listen to me, orbiting the sun? Uh, do you see Earth is just the only flat? area and the other areas as being those other objects in our solar system as being spherical as being those types of objects that we believe the earth is as well um i'll jump real quick and then jaron you can comment um understanding the flat earth model it, you know the earth is not a flat disc floating in infinite space um the earth is all that there is it is a a flat um you know with hills and valleys of course um flat land where we live and all of the things we see in the sky are are you know we only see lights up there we don't really see anything you know planets are only described to us by disney and nasa but when you look through a telescope you just see a light um i've had access to some pretty high powerful observatory a, a, a powerful if i could speak observatory when i was in college and I did look at Saturn, and it sure looks spherical to me, but it doesn't look the distance it says away. It looks very, very close. Um, so, you know, in the flat Earth model, uh, we see all of these lights in the sky as close. And, the, you know, if you ever wonder as a kid, why are all the planes, uh, all of all of the planets, um, supposed planets on the same flat plane in our 
in our solar system, and that's because they're all traveling over the flat Earth plane. That's a yeah. that's a fantastic answer. Can I ask you just a follow up, Brent? I don't know if I'm stepping sure. on the no. Path, go for it. Absolutely, that, this is what it's for. Okay, uh, let's assume in in the scenario that that for for what I'm about to give you that it is a flat Earth scenario, and so we're we're perceiving what's in the sky from from where we're you know where we're at on that flat area. Well, in the same way that the technology works behind 3D film to record you know these these cool 3D films that we see on TV, what if two locations on the flat Earth surface were to film that planet, that sat, that those rings of Saturn from their two different vantage points. Granted, the minuscule difference wouldn't be a lot, but there would still be some there. Because that has been done. Sure. I, I, I have an answer for that. And it, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's a slightly complicated answer, and I'll touch on it. Maybe Jaron can uh, clarify a little bit. Um, we've come to understand that when we look at the sun and the moon and uh, and I believe the stars too – um, on a, on a lesser variable, um, that you see them relative to your position. So if I'm in, uh, in New York and someone's in Florida and it's noon, um, we're not seeing the sun in the same spot in the sky. We're seeing it relative to our own position. Just like if we're both standing on the beach at sunset and the sun is setting, um, I could see that line of sun while, you know, across the water right to my feet. And you could see one across to your feet, but neither of us can see the one going to uh, to the other person. But doesn't that um, doesn't that feed it, into the the Earth is traveling around the sun because it's relative to our observation of it? And whereas on here, it looks like the sun is going to, around us because of the relativity. I mean, it falls into there. So why why is relativity OK there, but not in other places? Well, well it, it, good, Jaron, you go. But I was just going to say, because that's, you know, the reality of the situation is 100 people on the beach, each 100 feet away from each other, each one would see the reflection of the sun come to their feet. But none of those 100 people would be able to see any of the other reflections going to anybody else's feet. So does that reflection exist? Well, it does for me because I see it. But for everyone else, they have their own special uh, reflection for them. It doesn't exist. Mine doesn't exist to them. So, you know, the sun kind of manifests the same way through the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I know that the question was more, I think about, um, seeing different sides of Saturn, maybe, uh, if you're talking yes. about two ends of the earth and seeing, and yeah, I have no, you know, no doubt about that. I think where my questions come in is, um, the size of Saturn, uh, the distance, uh, w- what it is exactly as far as, you know, they say it's a gas planet, uh, you know, Jupiter's a gas planet, Mars is a rock planet. Um, those things have only been told to me, uh, by NASA, and there's no way for anyone to double check that other than people who work for NASA or people that, you know, and no astronauts been there. Um, don't, for, don't forget to give Disney credit. They told, told you about it also. <laughs> so who's, they, did, they did make a couple of films. But who's telling um, you the, the flat Earth debates that you have accepted, I guess, is my question. Like, right. You don't believe NASA. So, okay. So you don't believe NASA. You don't believe the conventional wisdom. Um, it, where does where does your uh, where do your suppositions come from? Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages was yeah. the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. 
<laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone. And we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So it's very high on pronunciation, too. So <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And, you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> in that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's it, they design it for long-term retention, you know. It, and, yeah. Uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm -hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value. And you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused or really cool. <laughs> I'd go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use. And we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term. And uh, it's something that uh, it works. You know, and we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this. And this is this is the one that we've chosen and we love it. So all you guys got to do, don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times. And it's always now right now. Get now. started for Larry. Limited time is there one listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50 percent off. How much? 50 percent. Visit Rosetta Stone dot com slash today that's 50 percent off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life wow redeem 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 how do they do it rachete your oh. 50 percent off <laughs> rachete <laughs> redeem it 50 percent off rosettastone.com slash today do it today after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Brent, I am really excited. 
would you finally get to the top of the rope in gym class, John? <laughs> nope, still haven't done that. But I have found a new app to listen to my favorite podcast, Hysteria 51, on. Ooh, do tell. It is called CastBox. It's uh, a new sponsor of the show, and we couldn't love it more. I knew I knew that name from somewhere. That's right. They sponsor us. They do. They <laughs> do. And, and one of the best things about CastBox, you can leave comments about each individual episode up to and including this one. That's right. So you not just every episode and all encompassing, but you can say, I love you guys. But this Black Eyed Kids or this Mandela effect or insert said episode here isn't up to snuff or the best one I've ever heard. I, I, I think the latter is what they'll be going with. And you can get it on your iOS device. You can get it on your Android device. Or if you don't want to use either of those, you can go to castbox.fm and hop on their website. Listen right from there. Leave us reviews. Leave us comments. But make sure if you are mobile and you're using on your phones, download their app. It's the orange one, not the purple. Yep, they just recently upgraded the app. And you're not dealing with a brand new app here. They've already served over 5 million downloads, so you're not going to deal with all of the, the, the problems the problems with new app. They've got the bugs worked out. Ironed out, if you will. Castbox.fm <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll just say real quick, anything that we can you know, verify, people can actually double check, which should be part of that scientific method. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, can can I see Mars through my telescope? Yes. And can somebody else? Yes. OK, so we can both agree that we can see a red looking light through a telescope. Um, now, when NASA shows us a big, beautiful sphere and with mountains and hills and things like that, um, you know, there's nobody who can go verify that. Now, does it match what we both see? Of course it does. Otherwise, what good is the deception? They they couldn't pull that off. But by making sure that whatever they show us matches to some degree our human observations, then I might agree that that's what I see. And the other guy is going to agree. Yeah, I also see the planet Mars. Um, but I feel like there's not enough um, secondary confirmation of those things to tell me distances. And so until I can go to Mars and measure it, how can NASA be proven wrong? And they can't, as long just, as they make sure. Yeah, go ahead. And just to be clear, um, you're, you're saying that they haven't been there, so they can't prove it wrong. Uh, obviously, the, the mainstream science would say yes, but we have been to the moon um, and and can prove some of your supposition wrong there. And in yep, what would that's what I'm saying. That be? Well, who else has gone to the moon to confirm that NASA's gone there? What I'm saying is, let's picture. Let's pretend that this was going to be a deception. What you would need to make sure is that anything that you did in space matched the Earth-bound observations. So I look through my telescope. I can see the moon. Somebody else does. They see the same thing. So if NASA puts on a production to where they look like they're landing on something that looks like what we both see through our telescope, they can do a pretty good job deceiving us because neither I nor the guy looking through his telescope across town, we can't go and verify what they're saying they're doing. So until somebody can also go and can also back up these things, we're dependent on a space agency to tell us all these things. And yes, I know that there's Roscosmos and, and Jackson and all these other places that supposedly some of them have gone to the moon, but many of their images don't look anything alike. Um, and it just seems like that that's not good enough confirmation when you're talking to multiple government agencies. Now, Greg, you have taught astronomy in, in college. What are, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, a few, 
<laughs> so um, here, here's the thing. Um, so what, what you guys are saying that, you know, I, I want to go back to where uh, David was talking about when he was saying that if you look through a telescope, all you see is, is lights. And sometimes you can see things like you can see maybe a disc on the moon or, or sorry, like the disc of the moon or the disc of Mars or Saturn or something like that. Um, but you can also look at places like Venus and, and the sun, and you can look at all the, all these are the really, really, if you look any farther out than, you know, um, Neptune, like anything farther out than that, it's, it's really, really hard to see as an actual object. Um, but when we're, when we're talking about, uh, Mars and the moon and all that kind of stuff, it's, 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 I can, I can see where, where, uh, somebody would say, "Oh, that's just you know, like a like a type of projection, or maybe it's a maybe it's just a uh, just a flat object up there." But one of the one of the really cool things is uh, Galileo, you know, way back 1600s, um, you know, he went he went in and 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 was the first one to show that that Venus itself had phases, right? So it had you know it had a full phase, it had a half phase, or you know first first quarter, second quarter, so on and so forth. So you could get, you know, the, all, all the different phases of Venus, just like you got with the moon. And at the time, at the time it was, it, it was almost unheard of to say, Hey, look, you know, this moves around the sun. Cause at the time, you know, the, the, the Ptolemaic model of, of the solar system and of the universe in general um, was, was very prevalent. It was, it was the, the model that, uh, you know, there, there are these, uh, uh, what, what they call epicycles and and you know the the circles on circles and all that kind of stuff and and um, when when Galileo showed that Venus does have phases it it showed that you know Venus does move around the sun not around the earth and you and you were able to see and he drew these pictures and and he drew these pictures of 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 Venus and of the moon and and all of these different pictures of the the way they were to him from what he saw in his own like self-built telescopes. So when, when, when I hear, when I hear things like, you know, it's, it's, it's this big, it's this big, you know, production by this entity or that entity. I want to, I, I, I like to go back and I like to look at, at older, older generations, people who self-built telescopes and looked for themselves I mean, that's one of the things that we did in astronomy too. We built telescopes and we were able to look at the moon and see, you know, the hills and craters and things like that. We did those in class and it was just a lot of fun. And I, and I, let me, let me jump in on that about um, mm-hmm. Venus. Um, what I wanted to say earlier in the show, and I'll say it now is things can fall into three categories in this discussion. They can fall into works on a ball earth, works on a flat earth or works on both. And as you'll see, nothing falls into the basket of works on a ball where it doesn't also work on a flat. So you're saying Venus has phases. Okay. Um, I'm not 100% sure if that's true, but I'm going to take your expert opinion that it does have phases. And and based on the fact that it has phases, you said that that proves that it's orbiting around the sun. Well, on a flat Earth, if the sun and all of the planets are moving around the flat Earth, uh, just like the moon has phases, Venus could have phases too. It doesn't mean that it's what they're telling us. Um, it could be close and small. And uh, the sun, the electricity from the sun is uh, lighting up the, the lighting up Venus like I believe that it energizes the moon to become its own light. Well, it's 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 not so much electricity, but light. It's electromagnetism. But it's, it, it's that that's a that's a discussion that we can go back and forth on. I have no problem <laughs> with that. But the point is, um, if they are objects uh 
going around, rotating around at their different paces. You know, planets were called wandering stars back in the day. Um, they're, they're, they appear to be no different than the stars, except that they're wandering at, uh, at different speeds. So they can have phases over flat Earth. So right, well, let's let's stay on that discussion. Um, OK, uh, uh, this is a question for Greg and then and David and Jaron. I'd love your response, Greg. When we look at Venus, um, mm-hmm. how do we how do we calculate how far away it is? Well, a lot of it has to do with triangulation. Um, I mean, it, when we calculate Venus, one of the one of the really funny things, and really I think it's pretty cool, but it's also kind of funny, um, is that nobody really had an idea how far away Venus was um, until about the seventeen hundreds or so, seventeen eighteen hundreds, um, when they I forgot exactly who it was, um, but they ended up sending a uh, a a, a ship down to the southern hemisphere and um they they when they sent the ship out there they said hey you know we want to get a picture of the venus transit of the sun so what they did is they calculated out how long it took venus to move around or move from one side of the sun to the other side of the sun and then from there you're able to calculate just how fast venus was moving and by and by calculating that on knowing the knowing how wide the sun was and how far away you are from the sun, you can figure out how fast Venus or how far away Venus is moving from the sun. But yes, I do admit that you know you have to do some approximations because it's not perfect. Um, you have to approximate it as a circle and and you know kind of simplify it that way. But you know after you know centuries of observations, you know a lot of people have kind of narrowed it down to how far away it is. But that's kind of the general idea. And do we use any technology uh, now? Uh, one way or the other, whether it's be on Earth or, or, or be a satellite uh, to help gauge those distances, whether it be Venus or any other uh, planetary body. body planetary body. Um, kind of, I guess. Uh, right now, there's a well, not right now, but um, there is or there was a probe that was sent to Venus, and I think it's it was the one that went around Mercury. I'm not 100 percent sure on that one, but um, they sent a probe out there to Venus to go study the surface. And when they did that, they included a radar altimeter and they, you know, looked at how, looked at all the different, you know, peaks and valleys and, and everything on Venus. Um, but as for things like, you know, lasers or, you know, shooting radar to it and then back to us, you can do that, but it's probably a little bit easier to just use, um, you know, Newton's laws of gravity and then, you know, trying to get as accurate as humanly possible. But of course, here's here's the thing: is that on the scale of the solar system, you can be within a few ten thousand miles and still be really accurate. Right. So, okay, you're talking about this started in the 1600s and 1700s. They were figuring out that you know the Earth they thought was a globe or a ball, and and how far away Venus was. And I guess for um, David and Jaron, my question is: if the Earth is flat, and it's been something that has been um, blocked from us it has to have gone back hundreds of years like when did the conspiracy start and what who's propagated it that whole time and why i'll answer that um to me i think that they originally thought that it was a ball because they observed from their perspective boats going over the curve they saw them disappear and they got scared and said those people disappeared and then they'd come back and they said where the hell did you go they said, we just went that way. And they said, oh, we saw you disappear. So you must have gone over a ball. And then from there, they started to uh, embrace that idea and move on from there. And then I think at some point, science looked. And when we had better optics, when we had telescopes, when we had, had uh, more powerful zoom lenses on cameras. So I'm not, I can't tell you when that would have been. But if they would have realized that they were wrong, they would have had to hide 
that fact because they were so confident and so and rightfully so you know i thank science for getting us out of the uh control of the catholic church but um i think they saw it and said if we admit that we were wrong about this then we will lose our grasp and it's better to tell this one lie and continue the movement of science than to admit that we were wrong and possibly lose the whole enterprise altogether so you were talking about gravity before and you don't believe, do you not believe in gravity at all? Like it's not like when you go in your bathroom and you step on a scale, what is that? Um, I guess is yes. my question. Well, that'd be weight. I mean, gravity is comes from gravitas, which means weight. Uh, mm-hmm. it's simply your, your, anything that weighs more than the air around it falls down. So if you're talking about that as gravity, absolutely. I believe in gravity. And if you're talking about gravity that causes the moon to fall towards the earth, I, no, I don't think that that is, um, there's no evidence that the moon is falling to the earth to me or missing the curvature. And so no gravity to me, as far as it pulling to the center of the ball. No, I think gravity pulls to the earth. And well, here, so here's, everyone- a, here's a question for, for uh, everybody involved. We, I, I keep hearing the term uh, when we're talking about what I thought were orbits, where you keep saying falling. I thought these were st- uh, stable orbits. They are. Well, the, the, the story of the, of, the moon, for example, is it's flying through space, but the Earth is pulling it down. And as it pulls it, da- pulls it down, its speed is matching the curve of the Earth. So it's falling, but it's not getting any closer to the Earth, and it keeps missing the Earth. Same so with all that, the planets. Wouldn't that be an orbit? Well, that's, that's, that's what they call an orbit, but that's not, we don't believe that at all. I mean, it, may, it doesn't make any sense that you have, you know, Why I don't know how many. Why does sense, I guess is what I'm saying. Because you have, you know, the sun is able to hold on to all of the planets. The planets are able to hold on to all of their moons. You know, there's so there's all these moons, and they're all able to whiz around each other, and they never screw each other up. They they always maintain, you know, the perfect orbit. Well, here's, um, it, here's my limited. I, I I'm I am not an astrophysicist, but like my limited understanding, and so enlighten me. My limited understanding is you've got a big body and a small body around it. And the gravity, assuming you believe in gravity, the gravity of the big body uh, uh, pulls the small body in and, and into a stable orbit around it. And then the even the bigger body, being the sun, pulls pulls our larger bodies, being like the Earth, to a, a, a larger orbit around that. But the sun isn't going to pull the Earth because the Earth, or, or, I'm sorry, isn't going to pull the moon because the moon is so much closer to another large body, being the Earth. That's my understanding of the way those things work. Before David and Jaron react to that, Greg, is my understanding correct or am I saying things wrong? Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. It's it's that the Earth is the Earth and Moon system um, is so incredibly far away from the Sun that the Sun's pull on the Earth and the Sun's pull on the Moon is is I don't want to say it's it's zero because it's it's not otherwise the earth would just fly off into space but um it's that it's so small that the earth and the moon system are pretty much the only two in that system that's why you know two body problems are super easy uh because you know it's it's just two bodies that's all you have to deal with but when you but like what david was talking about you know when you get into three body problems it gets way more complicated um but if you stretch out their distances far enough apart then you can treat them as simply two body problems because the earth and the moon distance, which is like 250,000 miles is nothing compared to the 90 million miles between the earth and the sun. 
So it's, it's, it's basically you can treat that as nothing compared to the 90 million that is between the Earth and the Sun. So, yeah, it's, it's that the moon is so close to the Earth that the Earth's, it, the Earth's influence on it is way, way, way bigger than the Sun's influence on the moon. So can I, uh, I kind of swing the topic uh, a little bit di- sure. di- off? Well, but about, before, um, before you swing the topic, I'd love to ha- hear the reaction to that. Jaron, why don't you take it? Sure. So, you know, basically your idea of gravity is one that uh, can exist, I guess, if you're talking about picking it up from current times and you're saying, well, this is what they're doing. And so we're applying a force that must do that. But there's to say that that force initiated those things. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you uh, go on a parabolic flight and you drop a bunch of ping pong balls in there, they don't accumulate into um, a, a sphere and then other spheres start in orbit of those spheres, you've basically looked at what's going on and said, okay, well, we know what's going on now. And so this is the action that they're all doing. Well, there's a lot of things that can explain that, but I don't think that they are necessarily just a fact. So when we say things like, oh, this is going around this and we're going around the sun, really, if the, if the sun is pulling us, how are we ever going away from the sun? When we're coming around the orbit, it's pulling us. Here comes the earth. We're being pulled. And then we go around the side of it and it goes, now we're going away from it. Now we're going, isn't that just, isn't that just easily observable through, through physics? I mean, you have to, if you don't believe that, aren't you a, that would be a science denier or a physics denier, because those are easy calculations we've been taught to look at. Yeah. Those are, those are calculable. Yeah. So why, that's what I'm saying. Why have you chosen not to believe that? When it's, you know, it's something that we've had for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I guess, and Adam and, and Tacken, why have you chosen to believe them? Um, is the, the, the question. Like, why are, I guess, why are you, why do you see yourself as a science denier of things that we've been taught is, is easily figurable? I, I don't, on this particular call, I don't necessarily think either of these two gentlemen, uh, that are flat earth theorists, disbelieve i think it's more that there's too much room for disproof of current theories that's what it sounds like you guys sound very well educated and i'll be honest i'm i'm impressed with some of the angles that you're taking so i don't i don't necessarily think it's i just think that they don't believe in it i think that there's just too many holes in some of these theories for them to accept and to believe just it. just think about this for for a moment you know the earth is orbiting around the sun at around 66,000 miles per hour while the sun is shooting through the galaxy somewhere between 400 and 700,000 miles an hour so we're doing this corkscrew uh right. keeping up with the equator of the sun we'll call it yes and all of the other planets of all of their sizes and distance are doing the same thing they're all maintaining a flat plane chasing this rocketing sun through mm-hmm. the universe um you know through the galaxy but our stars never change you know the, the constellations over time the, if you go uh, hold on future. that's what you're told hold on no hold that's on. that's Let's, hold on. The constellations no, hold on. are. Hold on. We know these. These are calculable things. We know that the constellations are moving. And if you believe so, in, in gravity, like if you believe in gravity, which you, you guys don't, that is why we're a corkscrew spinning around and moving around from one another. So if somewhere you've just decided, I'm, I'm guessing that I just I don't believe well, this. it's what it is, is, is denying the math. It's we, we went so, back, we, we started with is, uh, you know, the scientific method. Uh, can we, uh, what's our hypothesis and, and can you, can you test it? And can, then can you repeat the test on, on the, the traditional science side? 
those tests have been have been run over and over again, and they believe they've come to a conclusion. Um, what what tests have you run? What what leads you to not believe the math? Well, because if you if you were to if I were to tell you that I have four million dollars in my bank account and um, I have to pay two million tomorrow and then I'm going to pay a million the day after, then I could you know the math will tell you that I have a million in my bank account. Now I don't have anything. I don't have a thousand bucks in my bank account. So the math is correct. The math is true. But it doesn't mean that that's reality. Uh, math is a great job, does a great job. It's a language. It is a human invention that is like a language. It describes things more exact than my language can. I can't really describe things with my words as well as math can, right? So, so what's the payoff? To, I don't disbelieve the math. What? What's the payoff or what's the – who is it benefiting for the lie other than propagating the lie because it's been going so long oh man the space industry alone is something like uh 300 billion dollars a year so i would say that's a pretty good uh pretty that's good just the, that's just the beginning and i don't believe that they get 300 billion dollars a year it's more about control mm-hmm. and and why why don't like what proof do you have that they don't get that because look at the quality of work that they put out. I mean, that's a whole other thing. If you really but want to do only, that, go to, go to Jaren's channel, Jarenism on YouTube, and watch his NASA videos. It's not something that we can describe in an audio podcast in 90 minutes or so. I mean, take the time, watch the analysis, the scientific method that Jaren uses in his videos, and you will see that you know um, photos in space are being faked, and uh, stuff on the ISS is being faked. It's been proven but you have to look at the evidence i love the passion my god i do yeah. too it's that's amazing <laughs> all right so let me ask can, can i bring it back down to earth for a minute brent Absolutely. are you okay with no, that go for, uh, it. go for it okay we, we've always been on earth go ahead <laughs> well so there's there's it's easy to uh draw the conspiracy into what our field of vision is okay got that what we can see in the night sky what we oh, sorry about that what we can see in the daytime what we can see you know whenever um, I want to take it back down to Earth for just a minute. So we live on the Space Coast in Florida, maybe the one of the most active areas in the world for hurricanes and tropical storms. What makes, in a flat Earth theory, what makes the very basic concept of something that's repeatable here on Earth for any science lab anywhere, the Coriolis effect that affects the spin of the hurricanes different in the two hemispheres to you guys? What, 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 does, what affects that? Jaron, you oh. first. The sun, and moon, excuse me, the sun and moon orbit above the Earth in a uh, clockwise fashion. That's where they get the clock from. That's how we they figured out how to make a watch that goes on your wrist. It's shaped exactly like the Earth, and the sun does the exact same thing. And if you look at that orbit, anything on the outside of the orbit, being the left, being the southern hemisphere, curves off in that direction, which is um, which way we're we looking counterclockwise. So right, and and so that's how you each of those motions comes from. And what's pulling that then? What's making that motion occur? So the motion of the of the of the heavens, uh, you know, and I think that's even a known thing, right? That um, even from like a geocentric point of view, uh, since things are relative, if there is a force on Earth that is seen by us, it can be a cause of either one. Either we are moving through the universe, or the universe is moving around us. Either one would cause the same uh, fictitious forces on Earth. So, if I'm understanding that correctly, what you said was basically that. The Coriolis effect, which I believe and some of my other friends and, and fellow thinkers believe, that we believe to be occurring by the force of gravity and the Earth's spin, you're blaming on the co- the force in the heavens? I, I'm just I'm not insultingly asking you that. I just want to understand. Correct. The movement of what's above us. 
Right. So here's the way I look at it. I, I call it the wake of the moon and the sun. Well, let's just focus on the moon, that if the a moon and the sun and the earth are electrical, like um, I believe, that the, they have a, a wake um, as they move across our oceans, um, they they push like if you put your hand in a tub or a paddle in the water and pushed it, you get the Coriolis effect as the as the you get. Rever- um, opposite spinning vortices on each side of the paddle. So you won't see those spinning storms uh, in between the tropics. Um, you see them mostly on the outer, on the outside. You don't see them right on the equator. They spin, you know, uh, outside of the wake of the moon and the sun. All right. That's, I mean, you answered it. You, you gave me your perspective. I just, it's hard to, hard to understand because you guys are saying that there's no gravitational force that's being, uh, implied by these visions that are in the sky, it's hard for me to to grasp that you're blaming well, I, the cost of. Yeah, right. We don't we don't know if the things in the sky are physical. Um, you know when 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 Jaron says there's no gravity, there's you know there's buoyancy and density. Um, I there is a force that holds us down. Uh, it's some sort of electromagnetic static force. Um, that can be demonstrated. There's lots of things that will demonstrate that. You'll see uh, dust sticking to a television tube, you know, an old television um, that, you know, they're not metal and it does get pulled to it. There's all sorts of forces that way. You know, maglev trains are defying electromagnetism, um, for lack of a better word. They're not defying gravity. Um, these things, uh, you know, are explanations that could work i don't know the exact answer of how it works so you said you think that the the sun is electrical do you think it's like just a light like that's um for lack of a better word man-made or is it or what do you i think the sun is is the source of all life which uh science will tell us that it is you know we you know the sun without the sun we would not be here you know plants would not be living we would not be living it it is the 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 energy that that um powers the planet you know yeah, some people some people say that the earth is a giant battery where the center north pole is the positive and the outer ring that we call antarctica is the negative and the salt oceans are the the electrical fluid in between and that's how tesla was able to pull free energy out of the earth and uh, transmit it worldwide that's i mean that's a, that's an awesome theory to especially to tie in tesla's Tesla's theory as well. That's an awesome. I like right. that one. That was a good one. Well, we actually hey, can we can we just can did we, an episode we, on uh, on Tesla? You say he was able to broadcast it worldwide. Uh, well, he was able to transmit uh, electricity free, uh, pulling it out of the earth. But when uh, J.P. Morgan and Westinghouse heard that, they said, "Well, how can you?" meter this and charge people for it and he said you can't and that was the end of tesla well, he, he built Wardenclyffe in, in long island w- was there another tower somewhere that that no that that's where he did it and uh, i don't uh, that's where that's where pow- he demonstrated where, it but where was the power picked up they were pulling it they were transmitted they lit up the world's fair wirelessly uh, with his Chicago. with his that free was, electricity that was, but that was eight years later and, and that Ward, wasn't Wardenclyffe using Wardenclyffe was, at all Wardenclyffe was in 1901 uh world's fair was 1893 so, so I'm, I'm getting my uh, – I know that it was Tesla did it. I don't know where exactly it was. I'd have to go back and look at the research. Maybe Jaron knows. But before we, before we go down the Tesla rabbit hole, um, I just I, wanted I just to ask you guys – what you said. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no problem. This, this conversation can go in so many directions. And you know, if we had nine hours, we wouldn't get through any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the the question I have is the earth is spinning. The atmosphere is Velcroed by gravity to the earth, spinning with the earth, even though there's air currents going in different directions at different levels. Um, and then the, the vacuum of space, you know, if the space station or a spaceship got a hole in it, it would suck all the air out and everybody would die. The question is, why doesn't space suck the atmosphere off of the spinning planet? Uh, Greg, why don't you pick pick up there? <laughs> it's gravity. So okay. So let me let me answer that. Well, let, let me let, answer let that. Let Greg finish before oh. before uh, you you throw your addendum on there. No problem. Sorry. No, you're fine. So one really cool thing. Um, it's it's pressure, right? So the whole reason why water boils at a uh, lower temperature uh, in at, at higher altitudes, and the whole reason why um, you're able to suck drinks through a straw, or why you know, if you have a an open air hatch on the ISS, you know you're going to get sucked out. It's because the pressure of the it's it's the weight of the air. So the air is. I, I think we can all you know agree that the air is made of stuff, right? It's made of particles and molecules, and so the weight of every single one of those particles added together does cause. Uh, a pushing force downwards because the gravity from the earth is pulling down. And so when you, you know, have a vacuum uh, like in your house or when you suck on a straw, what happens is you decrease the pressure inside your body or inside the vacuum or something like that. You decrease the pressure and the, the, the pressure differential is the, the weight of the, of the atmosphere pushes the liquid down up into the straw, into your mouth or up through the hose into your vacuum. And so the reason why nothing nothing gets sucked off of the earth or anything like that is because the weight of the air has nothing to push the air into. So it's it's the the weight of the air is pulling down at the same amount on all sides of it. So because of that, there's no pressure differential um up here. But if you were to, you know, uh, get a giant hose or something like that, then sure, you know what? You could probably get the air to push up a little bit on the hose, but it's not going to, you know, push down up into nothing because there's nothing for it to go into. That's there's why nothing, they, there's nothing for, nothing for that. That's why they say Mars, you know, lost its atmosphere because it was just too <laughs> small. Um, it was smaller than Earth and it has so much less mass that it couldn't hold an atmosphere in comparison. Kind of. Uh, so, so you're 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 saying that the the gravitons or whatever gravity is is holding the air down, and even though vacuum the space is a, a the all powerful vacuum, it's unable to pull the the air up into its vacuum. Imagine the space being space being the inside of your mouth when you're sucking on a straw, but the minor tiny little vacuum that we can make with our lungs will pull water up off the ground away from gravity will pull air up away. It, it makes no sense. If I got a, if I got a, a, a bottle, uh, a, you know, a, a liter bottle and I sucked some of the air out and put the top on it real quick, you know, um, I, I would call that a lesser vacuum than space, but I can take that up to any altitude or even down into the water or anywhere, poke a hole in the bottom and it will pull air or water right away from gravity. So, you know, your, argument it, i don't think it holds any water but uh, <laughs> respectfully <laughs> nice, nice, huh? nice one yeah what, well here's 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 the thing um let's say have you ever been on a plane before of course okay yeah um so 
have you ever had like a shampoo bottle or anything like that just randomly explode in your luggage? Because I've had that happen a couple times. No, they took it away. At TSA took it. I had that uh, happen. It was oh, yeah, a that, bottle, that's right. That's it was right. a bottle of salsa from uh, right. Mexico. Now at the airports, yeah. they actually sell. No, the bags. of course. Yeah, at the airports, they say nope, you can't do that. Well, check luggage, pressure decreases. Right, right. My checked right. luggage. The pressure decreases because there's there's less there's less air pushing down on you at that particular altitude. And so as you go as you go farther down, there's more and more air. So yeah, it's it's the pressure is going to increase down here. And so it doesn't cause all that it doesn't require that much of a pressure differential to then suck something up a hose. But if you were to go up into uh, I I don't know, at a, at, let's say you were up at fifty thousand feet or something like that, then yeah, it's gonna be a little bit harder to 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 suck uh to suck drinks from a straw or anything like that. But it's 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 all it's all about that pressure differential. It's all about the fact that the weight of the of the atmosphere is pushing down at all locations at the same time at the same amount. And and, and when it, when I mean the same amount, it's 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 on the surface. I'm not talking like altitude wise, but it's it's all about it's all about the fact that there's more more stuff pulling down on you, and so it's easier down here at the surface than it is you know up there. I, so I, the, I, I go ahead, Jaron. But I respectfully disagree with that explanation. Go ahead, but Jaron. I would ask the question then, if you're saying that all the air is pushing down on the Earth at the equal weight, it always the same. How does the air choose to travel with the Earth at its various locations? So at the equator, the air has to move 1,000 miles per hour to the east. And at Florida, it's about 700 miles per hour. And at Alaska, it's 400 miles per hour. And all the air, all the atmosphere, travels the exact same speed as the Earth. So if it's what you described, this weight of the atmosphere above, when does it choose or how does it choose, even at 30,000 feet, 50,000 feet, to move at the exact same speed as the ground below it. Well, that's the thing; it doesn't. So, if you, if you, you know, have you ever been on a, ever been to anywhere at, at all, and seen that? Oh, hey, here the 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 wind pushes from west to east. Like I'm here in central Illinois, and the wind pushes west to east and south to north most of the time. But sometimes the earth put, or sometimes the the wind comes in from the east. Other times it comes in from the north. And so it's not all moving at the exact same rate at all at, at the exact same time. But if you're referring to why does it move with the Earth, is because gravity from the Earth is pulling down on it. So it's it's basically a giant ball. the The atmosphere itself is actually very, very, very thin. And there's like if you, if you come if you come at it from you know a, a larger perspective from from outer space or anything like that, you you can see that there's a very thin veil of atmosphere. And so on the scale of the of the planet itself, it's not a whole lot. But from our perspective, yeah, sure, there's a lot of atmosphere. And so when the when the Earth is moving around, some of the some of the air does move faster than the moves, moves faster than the rotation rate of the Earth. Other times it moves slower. And that's where that that's where, you know, um, uh, Adam and Tack were talking about where it was it was. It's it's the it's the Coriolis effect, and that's where we get you know the the easterlies and the westerlies and, and all that kind of stuff, and it does it does you know change it does change speeds at various altitude or altitudes various uh, latitudes around Earth. Yeah, kind of like if you're if you're sitting at home wherever you are and you're you're used to watching the the Weather Channel radar, and and if where you live you always see the storms move east to west every now and then you get that crazy belt of rain that comes west to east. You're like, what is happening? Yeah. Oh, yep. shit. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, if we, but the, the, uh, Jaron and, and, and David, that, that brings me to a larger question. 
Um, one thing that is that you that you do a good job of uh, that you 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 point you you point what you find to be holes in in the arguments. So I I've, we 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 find you pointing at, at well that and you and your answer generally is that doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Um, the obviously the retort to that would be well according to physics and science it it does make sense whether you understand it or not. What well, my question would be. Um, other than it not making sense to you, uh, are there are there definable uh, axioms that you found that can prove some of these things that you claim? Sure, they've done tests. You know, launching cannonballs straight up in the air, and the cannonball comes down and lands within three feet of the cannon, but sometimes mm-hmm. back in the same hole. So, you know, that's a test that tells me, um, you know, that the you would describe that as the air is moving with, but you just said that, no, it's always going different ways and it doesn't move the same. But if we're talking about on the equator, well, there is a thousand mile per hour atmospherical, you know, it's moving that fast. Correct. Well, if, if we were doing that, if we were doing that scientifically, we couldn't make it that uh, simple. Obviously, we'd have to account for the wind on that very day, the exact mm-hmm. angle. Uh, there, there are probably forty different variables that I'm not thinking of naming right, right. now that you would have to account for to do that test uh, in the scientific method that we started this discussion with. Um, right. Uh, so, uh, just saying, well, it, it shot up and came back down. Like, give me more than that. So, you, I guess what, what I guess rephrase your question. Are you asking about this specific example, or you're you're opening it up now to anything? I'm I'm trying to under so far in our discussion. Um, most most of the feedback that we've received from you when we ask these questions has been that doesn't make sense to me or well it, it just wouldn't work that way or I don't believe it um, uh, uh, what I'm saying is that on the other side of the argument is not just I don't believe it but it's like here are here are numerous um, uh, tests and examples and experiments that 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 to to the non flat Earth mind, prove the other side. What, what I'm asking is, can you give some examples of? And it doesn't have to be limited to the one thing that we're talking about right now. Okay, some tests and examples that prove um, uh, uh, your side of the coin. Sure, Jaron, you go first. Yeah, well, I would say that when the way that science describes something and tells me that's the way it works, and then I come and say that doesn't make sense to me. Well, it's that is kind of what we're saying is that you've already described the the action. For instance, right. let's just talk that's about smart. the. Uh, that's how we progress as yeah, a civilization. Talk- By huh? question, that's how we progress. We question things and and try to understand okay. them and make them better. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're doing when we question oh, science. When yeah, when we say that we don't agree with something, that's the nature of science is trying to debunk mm-hmm. whatever the current going facts are, whatever the truth is. You want to try and uh, you know up up that by one to get a closer to the truth. All right, Brent, that's probably a good place to hit the old pause button. This thing is, is getting long. Either that or just hit yourself in the head with a mallet and be done with it. <laughs> Take the easy way out of this. You'd feel better about it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So let's, let's do that. Let's wrap this episode up next week. We will put out part two where we finish this, this, uh, Ma- masterpiece. I think yeah, is the word master- you're searching yeah. for horse choker of a conversation. <laughs> 
Until next week, kids, we want you to remember a few things. First, to continue the Flat Earth discussion, head over to Hysteria Nation on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com, search Hysteria Nation. Also, you can find us on Facebook.com slash Hysteria51pod if you just want to see what uh, what's going on with our newest episodes. Give us a shout out. Share the show with other people, anything you like. Also, with Hysteria51pod at Hysteria51pod on Twitter, we love a little bit of Twitter love as well. The biggest thing you can do to help this show, help it grow, help us continue to increase Hysteria Nation is subscribe. Go to a friend. Take their phone from them. Open up that Apple Podcast app. Subscribe on there, too. (laughs) (laughs) The more subscriptions we have, the more people that are downloading and listening to the show, the more we get discovered. We rise in the charts. And you, Hysteria Nation, are rewarded by better quality shows. (laughs) What a reward. I mean, we're still waiting for that part, but it'll come eventually. rich chocolatey Ovaltine. (laughs) What the fuck? It's kind of on par with that kind of a reward, but you know, you'll love it anyway. Should we come out with a Hysteria 51 decoder (laughs) ring? I think we should. All right, done. How can they let us know if we should come out with a decoder ring? I think the best way they could do it is leave us a voicemail. That's exactly right. 773-669-7277. Again, 773-669-7277. Leave us a voicemail. You're going to hear yourself on the show. It's that simple. We promise. Unless you say anything racist. Yeah. Um, we might even bleep that out. Who knows? Like, you know, um, hate rants, hate speech we'd probably cut out. Hey, leave us one and try to make it so bad we won't play it. The only, the only hate speech we wouldn't cut out is if it was hate speech against conspiracy bots. That's true. That's we would true. definitely leave that in. Along with your actual name and address. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you want to wear a little Hysteria 51 swag, if you love conspiracy bot or you hate him, you can go over to TEEPublic, TEEPublic.com slash stores slash Hysteria dash 51. I know it's a mouthful, but you can just search Hysteria 51 on there. We have our own store. We got shirts with our ugly mugs on there. It's got Conspiracy Bot on there, the show logo, plus tons of other stuff that's paranormal, alien related, and all that jazz. We have a new bag and bot shirt. That is right. So you can get your robotic British love <laughs> and wear your bag and bot t-shirt. Well, that could have gone a lot of different ways. That's true. And finally... If you can't remember all these links, just go to Hysteria51.com. There's links to all that on there. Tell a friend. You're going to love it. Oh, boy. (laughs) With that said, I've been Brent. I've been John. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. Thanks for listening to Hysteria 51, a weekly oddcast of conspiracy theories, mysteries, and the unexplained. We'll be back again next week with more known unknowns. If you'd like us to discuss a particular topic, suggest a guest, or simply seek some truth, we'd love to hear from you. You can email the show at hysteria51podcast at yahoo.com and follow us on Twitter at hysteria51pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.